Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Winter wonderland for now. Good afternoon. Yeah, don't let the snow fool you, folks. We've got a warm-up on the way. Daytime highs will soar into the nifty 50s by the weekend, but it won't last. That rain will flip back to snow late Sunday. This morning's blast of wintry weather causing dozens of accidents all over the listening area. Insults flew and tempers flared as four of the five Republican presidential candidates duked it out in their final debate before the Iowa caucuses last night. Much of the firepower was directed at the one woman on stage. She will not stand up for you. Nikki is corrupt. And I love all the attention, fellas. Thank you for that. Former Ambassador Nikki Haley took the bulk of the salvos as she surges in the polls. I have been a conservative fighter all my life. Not so, says Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. She caves anytime the left comes after. When it comes to electability, DeSantis says he's the guy. I have delivered results. That's what we need for this country. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie accused the others of ignoring the elephant not in the room, Donald Trump. You know your thing? No, I don't have my thing. We don't. He's the thing. Christie says he's the only candidate in the race not intimidated by Trump. If you're afraid to offend Donald Trump, then what are you going to do when you sit across from Putin? NBC host of the Meet the Press program, Kristen Welker. This is the fourth debate that Trump has decided not to attend. It hasn't hurt him. If anything, it's only emboldened him. There are now just 39 days to go before the first votes are cast in the 2024 presidential election. Three are dead following a shooting yesterday at UNLV, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. I don't know if I feel like crying or I feel like angry. I'm not too sure. People are scared now because every time you step on a college campus, there's shootings every single year now, and it's just getting scarier and scarier. The shots rang out on the fourth floor of the business school. I honestly didn't think I was going to make it out of there alive. And I'm tired of it. College is supposed to be the best time of your life, not the end of it. More from KLS-TV's Vanessa Murphy. This UNLV student says he and other classmates in a nearby building used tables to barricade themselves inside a classroom. I'm still scared out of my mind right now. As the campus of more than 30,000 remained on lockdown. Her teacher just locked up the room, uh, said they're not letting nobody out. Those off campus used their phones to keep in contact with panicked loved ones. The gunman, a 67-year-old college professor, had recently been turned away for a job at UNLV. He was shot dead by campus police. Plumes of smoke continued to rise in the skies over Gaza two months after the deadly Hamas terror attack that triggered the ongoing war. Here's reporter Trey Yanks. It's been two months since the October 7th massacre and the war still rages on as the Israelis continue airstrikes. We also know Israeli troops are pushing in deeper on the ground. Much of that street-to-street fighting is causing heavy casualties. We also know they're going after the Hamas leadership inside Gaza and looking for those 138 hostages still being held inside the strip. Israeli troops have surrounded the home of the leader of Hamas near Gaza's second largest city of Khan Yunus. The White House says American lives are at stake. 
stake if Ukraine falls to Russia. The Biden administration's putting pressure on Congress to approve another aid package for Ukraine. Spokesman John Kirby. If you think the cost of supporting Ukraine is high now, just imagine how much higher it's going to be, not just in national treasure, but in American blood. The American boots would very much have to be involved if Mr. Putin is let to have this strategic victory in Ukraine and then perhaps goes after one of our NATO allies. After two years of fighting, the war in Ukraine is bogged down in a stalemate right now. I mean, this is in Europe's backyard. This is a European issue first and foremost, and we need to be honest with them, Laura, that it's time for the Europeans to take the lead on defense of their own continent. We don't seem to have any money to do anything for Americans. I mean, we can't secure our border, but yet we have unlimited money, apparently, according to Joe Biden, for Ukraine. Missouri Senator Josh Hawley. It's Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. And I'm going to tell you, I, for one, am not going to vote for a dime more for Ukraine until the United States security, our border security, is actually made whole and made right. The Senate Wednesday blocked an aid package that tied funding for Ukraine with the war in the Middle East and U.S. border security. The U.S. House is voting today on whether to censure New York Congressman Jamal Bowman for pulling a fire alarm during a vote in September on government funding. The liberal Democrat says he pulled the alarm to open a door. Republicans say he obstructed official House business. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy not seeking re-election. Earlier this year, the California Republican became the first speaker to be ousted from office in the middle of a congressional term. McCarthy says he's leaving Washington to serve this country in, quote, new ways. The 42-year-old son of North Dakota Republican Senator Kevin Kramer was involved in a police chase last night that killed a sheriff's deputy. Ian Kramer suffers from mental health disorders, including severe paranoia and hallucinations. The senator says he grieves for the family of the hero who tried to help his troubled son. The Pentagon has grounded all of its hybrid Osprey aircraft. Reporter Phil Farrar. This comes one week after eight Air Force Special Operations Command service members died in a crash off the coast of Japan. The U.S.-made Osprey is a hybrid aircraft that takes off and lands much like a helicopter, but can rotate its propellers forward and cruise much faster like an airplane during flight. The Air Force, Navy, and Marines all grounding nearly 500 Ospreys after an investigation found mechanical problems, not pilot error, caused that deadly crash off the coast of Japan. The Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor happened 82 years ago today. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed Congress the following day, asking for a declaration of war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. It was during that famous speech that Roosevelt called December 7th a date which will live in infamy. 2,400 U.S. servicemen and civilians were killed in the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor 82 years ago today. Still to come on the Noon Report, pot that looks like candy, COVID cases on the rise, and a Western New York native held prisoner by the Taliban. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin. Williams after a little taste of winter weather these last couple days and nights some milder weather is on the way.
I'll have the numbers in the forecast coming up in 10. All right, Kevin, we'll see you then. News where you live next. It is sentencing day for the man who killed Rochester police officer Tony Mazurkiewicz. Calvin Vickers murdered the cop and injured his partner in the summer of 2022. The 22-year-old Vickers is looking at 65 years to life in prison. A Dansville, New York native has been held by the Taliban in Afghanistan for nearly 500 days. 40-year-old Ryan Corbett is a husband and father of three. He's being detained in a basement cell without access to a bathroom, sunlight, or medical care. Corbett's wife, Anna, recently appeared before Congress. I'm here today because our family is in crisis. My husband, Ryan, has been wrongfully detained by the Taliban in deplorable and inhumane conditions. His crime being a U.S. citizen in Afghanistan. Westerners who've been let go from that notorious prison where Corbett is being held say his health is in serious decline. His family has been fighting for his release in silence. Ever since he was kidnapped on August 10th of last year, they decided to go public with his story because of fears that Ryan Corbett may be near death. You can learn more about his story at FreeRyanCorbett.com. New York health officials are concerned about a post-Thanksgiving uptick in COVID. New numbers based off wastewater surveillance data show a significant spike in cases. The system looks at the amount of virus in water that's been used in houses across the state. 150 cities had quantifiable results of COVID-19. The highest counties were Chautauqua, Erie, Monroe, Wayne, Steuben, Tompkins, and Shenango. All were in the red category. That's the highest level the state has. Sarah Harnish, Family Life News. Thank you, Sarah. Oshai Children's Hospital in Buffalo is reporting a disturbing rise in respiratory illness among infants. Family Life's Dee Haley has that story. As many as 103 patients have been admitted in one week for RSV. The majority of cases are among infants. Warning signs in children include fast breathing, difficulty breathing, excessive sleep, and sometimes blueness around the lips and fingers. Doctors advise parents to take their children to see a doctor immediately if they notice any symptoms. Infants, people over the age of 65, and those with chronic health conditions are at increased risk for complications from respiratory illnesses. Dee Haley, Family Life News. Thank you, Dee. The president of SUNY Fredonia was booed off stage yesterday as he announced that that school is cutting 13 bachelor degree programs. Those cuts represent 15 15% of all the majors offered at SUNY Fredonia. It's all in an effort to close a deficit following years of declining enrollment. SUNY Potsdam announced a similar move less than four months ago. More mental health and addiction treatment facilities are coming to New York. Governor Hochul says the state will double the number of clinics where people can get help. Regardless of where they live, what their socioeconomic status is, their income levels, they all deserve to heal, and that's what we're talking about here today with this announcement of continued funding, more resources, and supporting this model because it has been so successful. Statewide, nearly 40 of these addiction treatment and mental health facilities will be taking shape soon. At least seven will be upstate. The governor says New York will invest $11 million into these clinics so people can get the help they need even if they don't have insurance. The Pennsylvania House will be back in session for just a few days next week and after
after that, they are off for an extended period of time. Other than the governor's budget address in February, lawmakers are not expected to return to the House chamber until after St. Patrick's Day in March. Democrats say it's because of a water leak above the House chamber that needs fixed, but Republicans say the real reason is because of the retirement next week of Representative John Galloway. He's leaving office to become a judge, and that means the House will be evenly divided again. 101 Democrats and 101 Republicans. The GOP argues the Democrats are reluctant to convene sessions when they don't have that one-seat majority. It's all aboard for more passenger rail service in Pennsylvania. Here's Family Life's Brian Query. The Federal Railroad Administration is putting $144 million toward a project that will add a daily round trip on Amtrak's passenger rail line between Pittsburgh and New York City. The funding will be used to upgrade rail infrastructure along the Keystone West Corridor between Pittsburgh and Harrisburg that will allow Amtrak to add a second daily round trip on the Pennsylvanian line, which runs from Pittsburgh to New York via Harrisburg and Philadelphia. The line also has stops in Greensburg, Latrobe, Johnstown, and Altoona. Brian Query, Family Life News. Thank you, Brian. Parents in the Buffalo School District are worried after several of their children consumed cannabis-infused edibles at school. Kids got sick last week at the Bennett Park Montessori School after eating weed-laced lollipops. My child ingested a sucker that was laced with 325 milligrams of THC. THC is the active ingredient in marijuana. That parent says her 13-year-old son slipped into a drunk like stupor after consuming the weed edible. It is really becoming um, more and more of an issue. One of the things that is problematic is that they are they look like candy. Dr. Kathleen Grisanti runs an urgent care in western New York. Buffalo Bills linebacker Von Miller's been cleared to play in this weekend's game against the Kansas City Chiefs despite his recent arrest for a domestic violence incident involving a pregnant girlfriend. Culture and character and all those things are super important, but we also have to remember we have to let the legal process play out and, you know, the guy that we've known here for a year and a half, that seems out of character. Bill's GM, Brandon Bean. We're just trying to do the right thing and you're never going to make 100% people happy. If you if we went the other way and said he, he can't play, there'd be people, you know, upset about that too. So um, I wish I could sit here and make everyone happy, but I know that's that's not reality. The NFL is handling this investigation. A Dallas woman claims that Von Miller got violent with her at her apartment last month. The Belmont Stakes, the third leg of horse racing's Triple Crown, is moving to the historic Saratoga Racetrack this coming year. It's expected to draw large crowds, too, as the spa city gets ready for horse racing at its best. We've been planning for this for a while. Just very, very excited for this opportunity where we can't wait. The Belmont Stakes usually happens in Elmont on Long Island, but it's being moved to Saratoga Springs due to renovations that are currently underway at that downstate track. The reality is this is going to have an economic impact across the entire region. Four days of horse racing festivities will kick off Thursday, June 6th in Saratoga Springs. When you think about national and international tourists, hotel occupancy, 
bars and restaurants and small businesses downtown. It should be the best summer of all time for businesses in Saratoga Springs. 50,000 people expected to show up in Saratoga Springs for the Belmont Stakes next year. Let's talk more sports next. It's the two-minute drill on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, Yankee fans are going to be thrilled with this news. Juan Soto is going to be wearing the pinstripes next season. New York acquired Soto and Trent Grisham for pitchers. Michael King, Drew Thorpe, Johnny Brito, Randy Vasquez, along with catcher Kyle Higashioka. Watching Soto and Aaron Judge hit back-to-back in the Yankees lineup, going to be a real treat for the Yankee faithful. What other big deal in baseball? The Arizona Diamondbacks have signed Eduardo Rodriguez to a four-year contract. Now to the NBA, talking about big. What a night for Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. Last season's MVP scored 50 points, hauled down 12 rebounds to lead Philadelphia past the Wizards, 131 to 126. Embiid also dished out seven assists in the win. In Atlanta, Mikael Bridges knocked down a 17-footer in the game's final seconds, and the Nets eked out a 114-113 win against the Hawks. Bridges finished with 32 points. Elsewhere, Cleveland topped Orlando 121-111. The Grizzlies got past the Pistons 116-102. Miami beat Toronto 112-103. San Antonio fell to the T-Wolves 102-94. Chicago bested Charlotte 111-100. The Mavs all over Utah 147-97. Houston 110. Oklahoma City 101. Golden State a four-point winner over Portland 110-106. And the Clippers beat Denver 111-102. On the ice, the Penguins dropped their third straight, falling to the Lightning 3-1. Jake Gunzel scored the Pens' lone goal. Florida, Vegas, and Edmonton also picked up wins. That is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy. Still to come on the Noon Report, Professor opens fire. Fight night in Alabama and combating hate at college. We're talking to the president of Houghton University after this. We're going to break point a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. In the competitive world of online status mongering, courage involves a little more than clicking like or earning a mention in a post that could risk losing a follower or two. Real courage is, of course, something else entirely. It's about doing the right thing when there are real costs at stake. It's taking an unpopular stand, even a dangerous one, when sitting back and doing nothing would be far easier. During the darkest days of communist tyranny in Europe, governments would spout their dangerous nonsense and citizens were expected, often by intimidation, to act as though their folly were true. To refuse meant to be socially ostracized and police supervised, not to mention facing the loss of opportunity and freedom and the compromise of personal safety. So most citizens ducked their heads and did what they had to to survive. Others, however, made a difficult choice, the choice to stand up. Their courage did not always entail taking up arms or taking to the streets, but in a world where dissent was costly, to simply refuse to go along. Among those who showed that kind of courage was the Mendova family of Czechoslovakia, a family that's featured in the book Live Not By Lies by Rod Dreher. 
As Dreher wrote, quote, she was a dissident. She kept the family together when the communists put her husband in prison. When Vaclav was tempted by an offer to accept exile in exchange for liberty, she bucked him up, told him that the things they were fighting for were worth suffering for, too. Journalist Terry Mattingly put it this way, quote, It didn't matter if the communists had imprisoned her husband, the late Vaclav Benda, a leading Czech dissident and Catholic intellectual. It didn't matter that state officials had bugged their flat near the medieval heart of the city. And it didn't matter if her friend showed up after being tortured at the secret police facility just a block away, end quote. They were faithful through years of pressure, threats, and fears, and Camila Bendova showed her children, local students, and fellow citizens throughout that resistance is not futile. Her life is a lesson to us in this cultural moment. Though what we face is less openly dangerous, it's still confusing and consequential. Mattingly put it this way, quote, Traditional families now face threats that are harder to identify than those of the communist era, says Camila Bendova. Warning children about the secret police is one thing. In a way, it may be harder for today's parents to convince their children to be truly countercultural in an age of social media narcissism, gender confusion, online pornography, and credit card materialism. End quote. Though we do not face the exact tactics of Marxist regimes, we do face the expansive power of a de facto social credit system. We're holding to the wrong opinion certainly comes with a social cost. And Britain, railing against Jewish people and the whole of Western civilization, is completely acceptable, even encouraged, but silently praying outside an abortion clinic can bring a visit from the police. So for the Christian, now is the time for courage, the kind of courage that refuses to go along with dominant paradigms when it would be easier to just be quiet. The Mendova family knew that their children would require tools if they were to think critically and carefully about the world that they lived in. Our children will too, especially in this age of expressive individualism and ever-loud propaganda. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. All right, John, thank you very much. Let's head outside next, Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast for this afternoon, staying cloudy. Still a touch of light snow or flurries around mainly central New York. Temperatures this afternoon peaking in the 30s to near 40. Tonight will be mainly cloudy. Slight chance of a flurry, a little freezing drizzle in central New York. Low temps, mid-20s to low 30s. But tomorrow will be coming partly to mostly sunny and milder. High temps, 40s to near 50. Mild Saturday clouds, some sun in the 50s. Then rain and wind on Sunday. Rain changing to wet snow in many areas Sunday night. Okay, Kevin, this is the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price. Here's what's happening Thursday, the 7th of December. Tempers flared and insults flew in Tuscaloosa, Alabama last night at the GOP presidential debate, the last before the Iowa caucuses. He won't answer. Who's who's almost 80 years old? He's afraid to answer. No, I'm not. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis predicts he'll catch fire in the new year, despite polls showing him trailing Donald Trump by double digits. I'm sick of hearing about these polls. They weren't predicting that I would win the way I did, and I won the greatest Republican victory in the history of the state of Florida. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie was the only one on stage last night to go after Donald Trump. Be careful of what you're going to get. If you ever got another Donald Trump term, he's letting you know, I am your retribution. He doesn't care for the American people. It's Donald Trump first. Brad Baer of Fox News thinks the cake is baked, however, and Trump will be the GOP nominee. The advantage, obviously, is with the former president. I'm yep. not sure anybody moved the needle. We'll find out. The first votes in the 2024 election will be cast in Iowa in just 39 days. Israeli troops in southern Gaza are closing in on the man who masterminded the October 7th terror attack 
attacks that triggered this war with Hamas. Yolin Nell with the BBC. While Israeli forces have now reached the home of the leader of Hamas in Gaza, Yahya Sinwar, he and other top officials are believed to be hiding in underground tunnels. More from correspondent Richard Engel. Israeli troops say they're making advances against Hamas in Gaza. Killing its field commanders. The military releasing new video overnight of soldiers on foot on the attack. Troops are finding and destroying hundreds of entrances to Hamas tunnels. Some of Hamas's hostages may be inside those tunnels. As Israel continues its open-ended military campaign in Gaza, the offensive is turning much of the Gaza Strip into a wasteland. Today marks the two-month anniversary of Hamas invading Israel and sparking this war. A shooting yesterday sent students scrambling at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, UNLV. Three were killed on the fourth floor of the business school. I always hear about mass shootings, and especially in schools and stuff, but like it doesn't feel real until it actually happens. The gunman who was shot dead by university police was a 67-year-old former college professor who had recently been denied a job at UNLV. It is enough, and it is people filled with anger who are not understanding how to handle disappointment in their lives that they become even more hateful and full of anger and take lives of others. That is the mayor of Las Vegas, Carolyn Goodman. Next at noon, the president of Houghton University in western New York. I spoke with Dr. Wayne Lewis about the growing problem of hate on America's college campuses. Here's some of that conversation. What is it about the college environment that makes it susceptible to anti-Semitism? It's an incredibly unfortunate set of circumstances. One of the things that I think has contributed to what we're hearing and seeing is a lack of moral clarity, a lack of what is right and wrong. And when you get to the place where you say that all voices, all perspectives have equal value, even when some of those voices and those claims are patently false, patently hate speech and call for violent action against others, then you're in a really dangerous place. Unfortunately, some of our campuses have gotten to that place. I wanted to get your reaction to a line of questioning that happened this week. A congresswoman from New York named Elise Stefanik uh, was talking to the president of the University of Pennsylvania, Liz McGill and asked the president if calls for the genocide of the Jewish people would constitute a violation of that school's code of conduct. The president of UPenn said it depends on the context. What's your reaction to a statement like that? Context is irrelevant. This, again, is an opportunity for institutions and institutional leaders to be very clear. Hamas is a terrorist organization, and there is no place on a college campus for people to call for the extermination or annihilation of another group of people. How did we get to this point, doctor, where people's lives are in danger? I mean, you hear the stories from these Jewish American students. I can't even leave my dorm room to go to class because I feel for my own safety. Where's the genesis of this? 
you know, it's difficult for me to understand, Bob, because it's not logical. If you think to many of the conversations that have been happening on college campuses over the last couple years, they've been centered on DEI and inclusion. And that on its face sounds like a really good thing. The part that's really dangerous is when we get to the place of labeling certain groups of people as oppressed and oppressors. Because when you do that, you come to the place where if you are designated as an oppressor, it doesn't matter what you say or what's said about you or what's done to you, then you're wrong. And we need to be, as higher education institutions, places that value free expression, um, that values free speech, as long as it stays on the right side of hate speech, and it really is respectful speech, we need to be able to evaluate arguments objectively and not based on who's making the argument. We grieve the loss of life for Israelis. We grieve the loss of life for Palestinians. We have been in prayer on our campus and individually as members of our community for Israelis and Palestinians. Mm. And the speech that we hear on some of our college campuses and in cities across the country is in fact hate speech, is dangerous, is anti-Semitic, and it should not be tolerated. Yeah, I've heard many say they have not seen this level of anti-Semitism since the Nazis were trying to wipe out the Jews in World War II. I heard one student at UPenn say this is like a cancer. And if these college presidents aren't speaking up and openly condemning and saying, no, that is a violation of our code of conduct. What are the dangers in not addressing this head on, condemning it head on and saying we will not tolerate any act of anti-Semitism on our college? College campus. The immediate danger is for the Jewish students at those institutions. The logical question, I think, in, in most of our minds is if that's not the line, and if the situation is dependent on the context, then where is the line? What exactly would students or groups have to do that would be over the line? The question we ought to be asking is if you replace Jewish students with another population of students with this question, would the response be the same? Hmm. This is not a problem, thank God, at Houghton University. I want to close with that question. Why isn't this a problem at Houghton University? You know, we are very clear about who we are. We're also very clear about moral issues. There's no question about right and wrong. There's no question about truth. It's a Christ-centered institution. We believe firmly that all truth is, in fact, God's truth. Amen. Um, while there are different perspectives on different issues, particularly when you get into the political realm, those different perspectives can't get to the place where they cause us to be cloudy or unsure about issues of morality and issues of right and wrong. And so I, I think that coupled with the value that we place on life and respecting people and the culture that we work hard to foster, where we have difficult conversations respectfully across students from different backgrounds and perspectives. 
helps to create what we're seeing even in this moment where we're not experiencing what a lot of our our peer institutions are experiencing. That is Dr. Wayne Lewis. He is the president of Houghton University in Western New York. This is the Noon Report on Family Life. A very good afternoon to all. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. It was a warm front that was generating some light snow across the area this morning. That activity is fading now and the expectation is as that front pushes farther away, milder air will arrive, pushing our temperatures toward 50 at week's end. In the meantime, for this afternoon, staying cloudy, still a touch of light snow or flurries around mainly central New York. It could also be a sprinkle here and there, but um, a lot of just a gray sky, not much more than that. Temperatures this afternoon peaking in the 30s to near 40. Tonight will be mainly cloudy, slight chance of a flurry, a little freezing drizzle in central New York. Low temps, mid-20s to low 30s. For tomorrow, becoming partly to mostly sunny and milder. High temps, 40s to near 50. Mild Saturday clouds, some sun in the 50s. Then rain and wind on Sunday. Rain changing to wet snow in many areas Sunday night. Okay, Kevin, thank you very much. Finally at noon, the most often mispronounced words of 2023. We have a list of some hard-to-say names. So how do you pronounce S-Z-A? SZA leads the pack with nine nominations. That news anchor got the singer's name right, but she may be the exception. SZA's among Babel's most mispronounced words of 2023. Another? Please welcome... Killian Murphy. The star of Oppenheimer. And yes, Stephen Colbert was correct. Correspondent Deborah Rodriguez. And I'm pretty sure I said her name correct as well. And that's the world we live in. Thursday, the 7th of December. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.